So I founded Rixo in 2017, um, June 2017. Um, I was working at the time as a physio in the army and was deployed on operations. Uh, so we were out in the UN, um, out with the UN in Central Africa doing peacekeeping operations. Um, so I had a lot of downtime. <laughs> we were in the desert, um, in a tent, a big tented hospital, um, looking after the UN troops that were there. And so a lot of the injuries I was seeing as a physio, that's my background, were um, ankles, knees, elbows, sports type injuries. But in that 50 degree heat in a tent and limited supplies, it was difficult to provide even the most sort of fundamental basic level of first aid injury management type care. Mm. Um, so yeah, during some downtime, I had a look to see if we had in any kit available to us. There wasn't really anything. There was that sort of burst in a bag ice thing for like 10 minutes or whatever they do up to like a 7,000 pound piece of kit, but there was nothing in the middle. Mm -hmm. So did a bit of research into uh, the civilian side and what was available um, just on the, the broad spectrum consumer market. Again, there was nothing. And that's how it started. Wow. Started with a scribble in my diary uh, at the time. And- Was it just like must, must create global business? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it must be the biggest sports med company in the world. <laughs> So it started with a, sort of an idea or a concept. Um, and then I got back to the UK and kind of made this Frankenstein monster. So I was, would have been living in, uh, I was in the officer's mess um, and I bought a little six pound sewing machine or nine pound sewing machine off of eBay. Wow. Wow. And, uh, Lots of YouTubing. How does a sewing machine <laughs> yeah. work? So needless to say that snowing, uh, sewing machines in pieces and in the bin <laughs> out of frustration. <laughs> You've got a bank of sewing machines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All broken and dented. And yeah, created it and tested proof of concepts and it kind of worked. And then here we are, uh -huh. sort of four or five years later. So, so, so from the idea of um, so building a prototype, how did you, who did you go and talk to and try it out with and you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, so, found it, so we found it in 2017 and we started trading 2020. So for those years prior, I just kind of floundered around. Um, trying to figure out what to do and it was, I'd speak to someone and they'd introduce me to someone and then I'd met um, some people at Glasgow, they made some manufacturer style prototypes um, and then that's how it sort of grew. I won the Scottish Edge wildcard um, which then uh, enabled me to get some better prototypes made and it's gone from there but the way I sort of describe it to people when when you start, so if you, I'm not much, I was speaking to Andy Haddon, who's a, a mate of mine who's doing the Wave Garden, um, which is Scotland's largest indoor uh, man-made surf wave. It's just outside Edinburgh. Yeah. So he's a big surfer. I'm evidently not. <laughs> and, <laughs> I was saying, but the analogy I use is a lot like surfing. So you're standing on a beach with your boards, so that's your idea, and you're looking out at the massive ocean in front of you. And you're just thinking, right, okay. And so you kind of plow headfirst into the surf. And for that first 20 meters, you're just getting battered around, not really knowing what you're doing, trying to figure out which way's up. And yeah. then you kind of pop out on the other side. And then there's a lot of bobbing around, just waiting. Then three waves come at once. Mm. It's up to you to get into the right position to catch one of those waves. And then you ride it for as long as possible. And then you start again. And that's a lot like how it felt that first few years just getting sort of battered around. A lot of it was 
getting people to take me serious was quite mm. a big thing because it was just some guy from Scotland phoning manufacturers asking questions who clearly didn't know anything about what he was talking about. Mm. But then <clears throat> by speaking to one, you understand the answer to that question, so which enables you to then speak to the next person. Mm. Um, and that's how it sort of grew uh, from there. And then was it was it like a breakthrough moment in that early stage where you're like, oh, wait a minute, this person does take me seriously and knows what I'm talking about here. It's, well, to be fair, meeting John Hughes from Business Gateway, he's no longer with Business Gateway. Um, but even that, like I was trying to get through, and I, I first went through the process, <clears throat> I think it was my mum who told me you should have a look at them. So I thought Business Gateway was more to do with um, setting up local business, like Cameron's Cookie Shop or something. Yeah. But then I didn't realise it's all tiered. So I went down, filled an application forms, attended some seminars, and then the person I was introduced to said, actually, you need to speak to someone that level up, and John was great. And... That was one of the moments where it was it was like I was banging on all those doors and finally it opened, um, because even just having a sympathetic ear was amazing. Or to phone up and bounce, or being able to speak. So I mean, it's still and even to this day, like you're still growing and you're trying to gain that that confidence and belief. But the more traction you get, the better mm. it comes. I mean, even now, speaking to um, customers, professional clubs, like. It's all to do with credibility. Mm -hmm. Fair enough, you've won that award. Fair enough, you've done that. But what does it matter to me? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, yeah. There's still, I can't think of an actual breakthrough moment apart from that. Um, I think for me, starting on the business, it was, um, it was the things you couldn't really quantify, like the introductions, like the, you know, the very brief introduction, you know, talk to that person and then either they would be really valuable or they'd know someone that was and eventually it made sense. But yeah. it's that old thing, like you couldn't have, had that as a plan. That's like a connecting the dots going backwards sort of thing, you know? Yeah, so Rich, my business partner, <clears throat> he did that recently. So uh, we were fortunate when the GB squad went out to Tokyo, uh, the Midland long distance team uh, purchased a lot of our, um, the Rixel Cups um, for athlete recovery after running, um, but also using the heat before to get ready mm -hmm. on that transition phase. So it was amazing, but he sat down and was like, how did we get here? And so he traced it back and uh, it originated from about a year prior. Somebody made an introduction and just was basically like, oh, my mate is running this ridiculous event on his own to raise money <clears throat> for the RNLI uh, during COVID. So we were like, spoke to him. Yeah, can we like, yeah, we'll support. How can, how can we help? So I think we were very, very young. It was the first person we'd ever supported. And uh yeah, he gets on well, uses all of our products. He's an ultra runner and he ran this outrageous overnight hundreds of miles and raised all this money. And we sort of helped push it on our social channel and the website and things. But then he introduced us <coughs> to someone who was another runner who introduced us to a physio who then introduced us to a coach who then introduced us to this. And the next thing we knew, we were on a call with the medical team for the GB squads who were at the training camp pre-Olympics in America <laughs> and they were placing an order. But again, yeah, at one of those moments we were like, how could we have ever known that eight months ago, helping that chap with his run um, to raise money for RNLI would yeah. get us to there. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a good example of karma coming back around, right? Like, uh, yeah. In terms of the um, those kind of early days of 
getting the prototype, building it, and then you started trading in 2020? Yeah, May 2020. That sounds like an interesting year to start trading. <laughs> yeah, so, well, we, that was it. So, um, the build-up to that was, <clears throat> yeah, getting things in place and get it. Oh God, I can just, it's bringing back all these memories yeah. that going back. So, right, quite, yeah, I, I can remember when, uh, so when I took my first investment on uh, from uh, Sheikh Gustafin, so how did, how did you get that investment, I guess? Is... Uh, so <laughs> this is another story. So <laughs> I, after I brought my back, so my background, I uh, went to school in Edinburgh. Um, after school, signed with the Newcastle Falcons um, and was playing with them. Did Scotland age grades, uh, Scotland sevens for about three years, GB sevens. Um, but then 2007, a lot of sevens, 2007, I brought my back in two places and dislocated my shoulder. Wow. So it kind of wrote off my career at 21. Um, Finished my degree in hospital um, and then sort of popped out the other side and was like, right, get a job. So I ended up getting a job <clears throat> at the gym in Phantom Bridge, you know, the basement gym under the cinema. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shane at the time was working for Barclays and he came in and paid for personal training sessions with me about 25 years ago or something <laughs> like that. Um, so anyway, when I was starting up, Rickstow and I was going through the rounds of investment and I was just, I just wanted some advice and I was going everywhere I could and I just remember Shane, so I sent him an email on LinkedIn and was like, I used, to, I don't know if you remember, I used to train at the gym, uh, would you be free for an hour of coffee to give me some advice type mm. thing? And um, yeah, so we, I met him for the first time, we had a coffee and then I met him again, but at the time I was sort of... I, there was £47 in my bank account. Wow. I had, ironically, an invoice from my accountant for £70. Um, and then I was thinking that Rixa was sort of dying and dead in the water. I had another idea, which was a, a web-based thing, and I was sort of loosely, actually, I was pitching that to him because I was like, I've sold my house, I've sold my car, I'm, I'm just, I cannot get over that hurdle, so maybe this is actually where I'm meant to go. Mm -hmm. So I finished that and he said, I thought you were going to come and tell me about this other thing. I really want to hear about that. So I told him about it for 10 minutes. And then he said, I was pitching that night. He's like, if they don't invest, I will. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was amazing. So that was just like, okay, but maybe it, it does. And it was a huge vote of confidence. And in fact, that allowed me to pay for the patent um, and then get over to Germany and get some manufacture quality ones done. Um, and then, yeah, we launched in May 2020 um, when this little virus kind of came along. <laughs> yeah, Chinese virus. <laughs> yeah, we sat there and we're like, oh, God, everyone's just getting up in a fuss about nothing. What do we do? And it's like, do we sort of wait, just let it blow over and we just push back? And I was like, no, we've, we've got to where we've got to. We've made the decision. We launched now and we sort of pushed through and it was the best decision um, that was made and yeah it's been hard I mean immediately from the offset we were then delayed six months in production and oh, wow. um, just over in Germany it was just was just everything if you think raw materials and movements through so um, the impact we've had so we've had um, in our tender uh, coronavirus Brexit and now this awful war in the Ukraine and that impacted us because of the um, logistics the sanctions on Russia any goods that pass by rail from China into Europe yeah. are getting stopped. So our logistics times for anything in China 
then went from 30 days to 60 to 90 days. Wow. Um, for us, we don't get anything done in China. It's in Germany, but there's one small raw material that they get from there, and it's stopped production. I think you told me last year, is that there's tiny bit of Yeah, so the we, get, we, get, um, we put little silicon dots, because our products are compression cuffs mm-hmm. um, with a gel inside, and they fit different body parts. So we put little tiny silicon dots on the inside, like you get on hosieries, stockings and stuff, so I've been told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was the raw material. There was just a shortage across Europe. They couldn't get it, so it stopped production on everything. So wow. we've got a back to waiting list of people, and it's just, yeah, it's that sort of thing. So it's been a roller coaster, but what it's enabled us to do is really refine our business processes and come up with a really robust supply chain. And so even still, we're looking at ways to minimize involvement wider afield. So how can we, instead of having all our eggs in one basket with certain manufacturers, finding people in Italy, Spain, Turkey, across Europe and working on ways that we can sort of balance it out. Wow. Um, but it's been a roller coaster. Yeah. It's been emotional. Yeah. yeah if you ever want to learn resilience, start a business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wow, uh, no, there's, there's tons to, tons to kind of touch upon. You know, the, the, uh, that first investor is so important, right? Like, oh, I, yeah. I, that no sounds idea. incredible. I don't know if he knows how, like, that was make or break. Yeah. Like, for me, personally, for Rixo, I was, I think I'd been in front of so many investor syndicates, and I was just, I was at this awkward stage where I just needed to be one step. Mm. And then... It would have been a bit more of a sure thing, but because I was such a, a little step behind mm. on the prototyping, it just meant that the investment terms were really unfavorable. And I just I couldn't get my head around. And fortunately, Shane, he's yeah, been phenomenal and then mentored me. And um, yeah, but one of my first mentors was the, um, a chap called Jamie Fuller, uh, who is the CEO of Skins. Oh my word, here's another story for you. The, uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I sent him an email. I think this was the time just before he was about to leave Skins. Um, yeah, I sent him an email. It was basically like, I just really want to sit down and hear your story, tell you a bit about mine. Mm-hmm. So I was in Edinburgh at the time. Uh, he was in London. So he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm free on Friday. <clears throat> Are you around? So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally around. I wasn't. And then he's like, oh, I'm free sometime in the afternoon, but I don't know when. So I was like, fine, not a problem, I'm totally relaxed. But what I did was I caught a flight at 6 a.m. and I sat in a cafe with a return flight booked at 8 p.m. And wow. to wait because I wanted to speak. And so yeah. he came along and he offered me an hour of his time. I ended up getting sort of two and a half hours. But it was great because we sat down and the main thing I wanted to know was about if he was talking to a younger version. So that was cliche, but mm-hmm. I wanted to know about his mistakes. Like I knew about the success, but there was a lot of underlying issues that led to skins going where they went um, and sort of how he got to it. And it was great. And then he became for a short while, like <clears throat> a sort of on-call mentor. So when I was going in for investment, mm-hmm. I could phone him and ask him questions about stuff. And it, it's things like that, which are just like, it's invaluable yeah. like, to speak to someone and... Learning from your own mistakes is one thing, but learning yeah. from other people's mistakes <laughs> is much it? better, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you, so you're getting kind of that, that mentoring going into the investment round. So, so how, what, what round are you on now with this, this one? This is our third seed round we've just oh, wow. closed. Um, so uh, Shane was the first. Um, Rich, my 
co-founder. He invested second and works full time. Um, he, he's phenomenal. We've got a yeah, like a really good balanced relationship. His background is in uh, risk assessment and finance uh, specific, so investment banking, but more on the um, understanding of the investment and the risk. And whereas I'm your know, standard. Head first, don't care about the consequences, let's just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to give investment? I'm looking for investment. <laughs> so, uh, very much yin to my yang. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's been phenomenal. And then this round that we've just closed, we were, we, were, we weren't sure whether we were going to do it. Um, and then what we did with this one was, what's interesting is everyone who has invested on this round, uh, there's five people, they've bought and used the cuffs. So they've been the athletes um, or uh, people who are heavily enthusiastic about um, their sport and they just get it. And mm. so it was almost like we had a few of these people. I had a chap reach out to me from Africa during the marathon to Saab who was using them and said, when we get back, I want to have a conversation. When you're doing an investment round, I want to invest. Wow. Um, and so... We sort of thought, okay, with this investment round, uh, the capital is, is, is great, but it's mainly this network that's going to open up because mm -hmm. it's, okay, collectively as a team, what, what can we do? Like, where can we take this? Um, and it's thinking about, yeah, don't want to go too heavily down sport, um, medical avenues, and we've got the expertise now, which is great. And that's it's the building block to take us... Um, to the end of the year and that's where we're doing a sort of a big push for um, a large investment um, in order to then the intention is to target one to two countries in the EU mm -hmm. as well as America um, and we've got some really interesting conversations over there already which is great yeah 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 it sounds like a lot yeah. Lots to do at the same time. <laughs> you get used to that business, don't you? Um, oh, I'm actually 20 years old. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, uh, I'll see you towards the end of the year when you're walking stuff and you're going, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the one thing you mentioned there was about the in the latest round of investment, it was all people that had bought and, and, and used Rexo, Rexo um, Cuff. That must be a big, a big kind of stamp of approval for you that this is the right way to go. How do you engage with users of it? Do you, do you have like user groups or do you, how, how do you get feedback on it? Yeah, so I, um, <clears throat> a big one for us was we went down to the National Running Show um, in Birmingham in, it would have been start of the year in January. It was a big risk for us because it's a huge trade event. I mean, it's massive, like 30 odd thousand people. So it was a risk in the first place because of COVID. But secondly, um, I emptied the bank account a session later <laughs> to pay for it. But uh, it was like, We'd had two years of not being able to stand face to face with people and mm. talk to them. So we went down, doors opened. We were sort of, there's some big brands around us after the big brands and we're standing there like, okay. Let's do this. Yeah, <laughs> but no, Pams are getting sweaty. It sort of opens at half, uh, half like nine or half nine, half 10, nothing really. And then I was doing a talk on the stage when I came back from the talk, from 10 until 2 o'clock, I'd hired um, two people to help on the stand. We couldn't so fast enough, but what was fantastic was people had travelled up who use it and wanted to see the new product and wanted to speak to us. Right. Um, so I remember speaking to a customer, and it was phenomenal, 
it was really honestly, I was just chatting away, um, went in to do the sort of, oh, have you seen these? Do you want to try? And she just said, I've, I've got everything. All I wanted for Christmas was Rixel. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my word. Like, so stuff like that is amazing. Yeah. Um, but you're right, it's difficult, like getting the engagement. And so I listened to um, a podcast, The Masters of Scale, um, which is really good. But one of the things the, it, on the episode, I can't remember what it was, maybe an Airbnb one. Um, he went, early stage of Airbnb, they knocked on the door of every single person who was on Airbnb and sat down with them. So it got me thinking, and I've booked off a week um, end of this month mm-hmm. where I'm going to phone every single person who's bought our cuffs wow. and speak to them um, because it's the only way that I can truly understand where we are, what we can do right, what we can do wrong, what I can do to make you want to tell everybody about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a physical shop, um, so we have to find other means. Um, one of the things we are doing is attending a lot of events. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, it's good, but we're still, it's that confidence, it's really unknown, but it's great. We go in there, it's almost like you have to sort of predetermine what your, what your KPI is, what your target is. Mm-hmm. So we don't go in there thinking, right, I'm going to make 50 million pounds of sales. We go in there and it's like fun. We want to get two connections and speak to at least 50 people. Okay. And so you go in there with a totally different mindset. Yeah, you have some stuff and you make maybe some sales that break you even. But the most valuable thing is speaking to people. Yeah. And finding out so it changed the whole way that we market ourselves. So we went down a ridge. So we chose sport first. We chose a calf cuff um, because we thought it'd be easiest to market um, runners and, and finding the right demographic. But what we're finding is actually I'd say 75, probably 80% of our customers, they're not injuries, it's niggles or long-standing conditions. So suddenly you're changing your mindset. Okay, we don't need to talk about what happens at a cellular level for ice and recovery and DOMS and performance. What we need to talk about is you are a dad who works crazy hours but loves running but you've got this... Achilles problem that won't go away. Yeah, that's what we need to be addressing. So it changes. Okay, what what what's the message that we're doing? What's the message we're giving out? Really popular ones: the knee cuff um, for a slightly um, older generation for osteoarthritis. But just because of the age, it doesn't matter. They might still be golfers. They still identify by their sport. Mm-hmm. They're still runners, golfers, whatever it is. And the main message that comes across is: I just want to be able to keep going. Yeah. So you're like, okay, yeah, that's exactly what we, we need to keep people up on their feet so they can keep doing the things they love doing, yeah. but done in a way that's affordable uh, and convenient to use. And that's sort of what underpins everything that we're doing is, okay, does it hit those milestones that hit the markers? Yeah. Um, so it's not like a super premium thing. It is for, you know, everyone. Yeah. So the early motto that I had for the company is everyone's an athlete. Okay. Um, and it's because it's true, irrespective of if you are a pro-level athlete or doing your first 5k or 10k to raise money for a charity or whatever it might be you're still an athlete in your own right it's, mm. it's just the level that varies um, and so now we, the way I think of it with Rixo is I, I, I just want to make people better mm-hmm. so as an athlete making you better is improving your performance mm-hmm. but if you're carrying an injury or a niggle Making you better is getting you back to doing the things you love. And that's everything that we do. It's all about that. Yeah. Um, 
I ran a small sort of questionnaire that I sent out to a lot of people and asked what the main things they were looking for. And so it was affordable, easy to use and supported by evidence. And then the one that's come out of that is convenience. Mm -hmm. um, so it's making it that it's cost effective, which is actually is it's more difficult than it sounds because we have the made in Germany, which has its perks and it has its protection on our part for the, um, the IP and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it comes at a higher cost per unit. And so getting that balance right, um, it's what it's, yeah, we've managed to get that balance, which is great. And they sit around the cost of a, a pair of running shoes. Um, but I was once told I'd created the worst business model because I've designed a product that should last forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that, yeah. yeah. Um, but it does, and that's where, it's what comes off the side of that. So with Rixo, I aim to own the recovery space. It'll be one of the, the top three players in the world for sport and injury recovery. Um, it's a hugely fragmented market. Mm -hmm. It's the fastest growing sector within sport, but yeah, it's a lot of individual companies doing something well. And a lot of them focus at the high end. So you've got, you've like a lot of snake oils and charlatans and gimmicks mm -hmm. or seven, 8,000 pound bits of kit. That wow. The pro teams use there's nothing and really that sits in the middle and that's where we want to sit. Um, but then you're looking at sports recovery, you're looking at post-operative recovery, injury management, workplace. It's essentially anything that goes on your body, in your body, how you educate yourself is becoming the gold standard. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's something we're working on at the minute within sort of running communities, because if you go on to running groups on Facebook and somebody goes, oh, I've got a ouchy knee when I run uphill, the myriad of just rubbish information. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Oh yeah, so I was told that I do this and I, I rub peanuts on it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's getting a way that you can find digestible information from a source that you can trust. Yeah, I, I love your focus on end users. Like for, for us, it's end users in a tech space. Yeah. But, but but getting that feedback is just super important. It turns a uh, like a, a capable, good product to a great product, and yeah. that, that's where the value is, right? That's what people. Um, that's where the value of the business is. That's where the value to the people are. It's that fine tuning at the end that a lot of, a lot of companies miss out or just expect to be good enough. Yeah, you know, we get that a lot with tech where. Um, I worked on projects that maybe last like years, especially earlier in my career, and it would never go live in front of an end user until the end of the project. You're like, that's absolutely oh, mad, right? You don't yeah. do it like that. It costs the world and you've got no assurance over, is it really going to work? Yeah. Maximum risk. So it sounds like really sim similar the way we do things, but um, let's say delivering a mobile app or a platform or something, it's right, user feedback from design stage onwards, not at the end of the stage, right? Like it's, and one of the big things I do with product development is ask existing customers. Like, do you want to trial some stuff for me? I just need, like, no holes barred. But then the big thing is, is the ability to filter. Because if you ask for feedback, you'll get feedback. But it's not always the type of feedback that you want. Yeah. Um, or you should add a strap here that goes over your shoulder. And that is like, <laughs> or it should, if it had an electrical bit, we're, we're designing products that don't require electricity. So it's like... So that's one of the big things. I always manage every complaint. Um, not that we get them many, but any, there was, we've had some product issues or whatever, but anything that comes in, I handle it personally. My aim is to try and turn every complaint into a, a positive review on, mm -hmm. um, on the website or Trustpilot. Great. Um, and it's just done, it's something I, 
it's something I tried to implement, but I learned the hard way is just remembering the human element of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So let, I mentioned that Rich and I had a, we got a really good business relationship um, and how we work together. Um, I think it's fundamental, but that it wasn't always like that. So at the very, very start, we had some issues around, um, yeah, positions in the company, allocation shares and stuff. It was to do with um, employee legal. It was just, it was this sort of myriad of bits that needed to fit together in order mm -hmm. to do something which fundamentally was incredibly simple. Yeah. So I did what I thought I needed to do as the founder and the leader was I would read and I was taking my emotion out of it and I was thinking about, okay, I need to speak to lawyer here and do this very sort of clinical. Mm -hmm. Whereas in fact, the emotional attachment that was coming from Rich, all he wanted to do was just speak it like get involved so I handled it completely wrong and it nearly uh, it didn't it didn't cost us the working relationship at all but mm. it nearly caused a, a lot of friction wow. and so when I actually stepped back I spoke to Shane uh, and just said I think I've totally mismanaged this he recommended a book uh, called the hard things about hard things yeah um, yeah which is great so I was doing about four books a month on I listened to them on audiobook, yeah. but on like three times speed. So. Oh, wow, right, wow. <laughs> yeah, I think like, I need to listen at half speed to take yeah, it in. It's but. just like, um, and so I went through that and I was like, yeah. And so when I sort of stepped back and I just phoned Rich and I was like, I've totally mismanaged this. It was my fault. Um, and this is how I'm going to rectify the situation. Um, and just sort of took complete ownership. And then it made me think about everything. Like you hear these things about... Uh, the customer first or staff first or whatever it is. And I think as long as you remember the human element to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so when somebody sends you an email and they're a bit upset about something, the sizing's off or this or that, um, it's because they're investing in something that they want or need yeah. because of something that's going on. So it's my job and team's job to make sure that we hit that. So yeah. I'm not saying that well, the customer's always right and, but equally, it's, yeah, okay, if it doesn't work, so straight off the bat, you've got a problem, no worries. In the back pocket is a refund. Yeah. But what can I do in order to facilitate mm. that not happening? Even bad feedback, they're investing time to give you the bad feedback exactly. where they could just ignore it and show it in the corner and never hear from you again and yeah, never recommend you, you know? Exactly, so it's just, and it's amazing what just picking up the phone does. So we do so much behind that blanket of emails or that, that sort of anonymity of sending an email, but. yeah. You pick up the phone, it takes half the time and it gets resolved yeah. a lot quicker. Um, and it's just, it's, it's doing that. Yeah. Try to say I get it right all the time, but no, it's, it's it, certainly it, try. It's that communication thing. That it, it's ever since the kind of lockdowns and, you know, I think previously we were five days a week with the team in the office and seeing clients in real life and we travel quite a lot. And then it went, you know, all remote forever. And it's just a little thing. It's like 10 second conversations that make yeah. all the difference. I know. You know, when you say it uh, on Slack, uh, you know, when someone's asking you when you want it done for and just say, oh, just ASAP. It's like, that's just like, in a darn sense, yeah. that's like, all right, whenever you can fit it in. But like, yeah. to me, I kind of need it whenever quickly. Yeah. But, but on, you know, taking just in text, it's like, oh, well, I need to drop everything. Yeah. And actually, I, I had a day plan. <laughs> like, no, I didn't mean it like that. It's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's exactly that. So we've, we have been working remotely. Um, Rich and I, because of lockdown, he's done um, sort of Altrincham way and I'm in Edinburgh. Right. Um, but we now that things have eased and lifted it's the first thing we did okay how can we work together so three days a week four days a week um shared office down there 
and it allows us to it's fine up to a point like mm. working separate um but there is a point you need to be set back to back in an office and just being able to do things um and sort it out yeah is it the two of you just now or is the team growing or um it's growing so the way we operate is um, and like a lot of places, because of the until we've got guaranteed financial stability and revenue stream, um, the it's minimising risk on the company. So there's Rich and I full time, and then we have a series of um, external contractors that we work with uh, our agencies, and so we always work on a sort of two project basis uh, before going onto a retainer. And that's purely because, again, learning from mistakes, we took some people on very early on a retainer, mm-hmm. um, and they just weren't doing the work mm-hmm. um, and then they were charging us mm-hmm. and they didn't quite fit within the mentality of like the company so we um we define it very early on like when we're working with anyone new is that we operate like a sports team so mm-hmm. we're on the pitch i do something you might challenge it it's not that you're challenging me or my intellect or my idea you're just giving me another point of view mm-hmm. um, and it's the same i will often phone rich and say i've had an idea I need to hear the counter-argument to it. And so um, we almost had to explain it again because historically we had it with someone who thought we were person, like uh, it was probably me, (laughs) personally going against. But all all we were doing was, it's a sort of motto, challenge the experts. So you've got to challenge, okay, if that's what you're saying, but have you thought about this? Mm. Um, And so, yeah, we've had issues where we got... uh, burned financially, God, handed over a website that was like 60% done and oh, stuff like that. So, God, mm. it happens, right? I think it's so difficult as, you know, for me as well, like in a growing a business and then you're, you're, you're looking for experience outside of your wheelhouse, like for me, like marketing and that sort of thing. And it's just so hard to find the right partner or hire the right person because you're not strong at that specific, you know, specific yeah. kind of business, right? Um, so it's, it's quite kind of hard lessons with oh, it. It always costs you like lots of money. <laughs> oh <my> God, yeah. <laughs> and you look back at like, say your, your, your end of your account, you're like, did we spend that much on me making that mistake? And yeah. it's, ultimately it all comes back to like us, right? We're like, oh yeah, yeah. I made all those, all those decisions. That, oh, like, definitely. But some of the mistakes I've made have probably cost us more if I just went, I was, one of the things I'm learning, I don't know about you, but how are you with patience? Like just being patient. Are you a patient person? Uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm fairly patient. Um, I, I got a bit, I've got a coach and wait, I'm quite a kind of agreeable person yeah. until I'm not. Yeah. And then like the whole world's wrong. So I need, I'm working on that. So I've got lots of patience until like I don't have any patience yeah. at all. I yeah. had, I mean, it's getting better now. I had no patience. And um, <laughs> the, it used to culminate with me breaking the website. <laughs> well, you're just like, get, let me log in. I'll yeah, sort this. It's just like, I need something small done. But it's like, if I email them, I don't know, it's a Saturday or something. It's just, yeah, I'm going in. Like, yeah, <laughs> just a text change, just can't go wrong. I know, but then suddenly it turns from a spell project to a very big urgent project <laughs> on a weekend. <laughs> so, like, so I tried to change the homepage yeah. and uh, it doesn't work on mobile. <laughs> so it was funny actually, when we got the new one built, um, I had reduced permissions on the site and the only way I found out was because we were on a, a call and they were talking about something about can you see this that, and the other I was like 
I can't see it on like the back end. And they were like, oh, let me just have a look. Oh, it's just an arrow with your permissions. And oh, so yeah. when I logged in, there was suddenly all of this information and stuff <laughs> I could see. But then there's a caveat from the developers that were like, just don't touch anything without telling us. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, even I do that. I jump on our website and just make changes because yeah. although, de- although we've got designers, they're busy on client projects and I need this one thing done on the website really fast. Yeah. And then I would be queue like uh, my wife, Carla, she's like, Darren, what are you doing? It's a Saturday. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, I just need to fix this. You fix this before I go to bed. <laughs> and you start getting the sweats. Like, I, I need to spark in. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's it's funny. One of the things you fixate on, um, um, we had, so previously the, the domain name we had was rixorecovery.com and rixo.com was owned by a, uh, I think it was, a, it was a Polish pram manufacturer or something, a company in Poland. Um, so it was a bit like fun. Like, kept Rex of Recovery, and then, but I kept tabs on that, and the company closed down, and then the domain name came up for sale. Wow. So I didn't have to buy it off them as well. I got it for like 20 quid or something. No way. Rixler.com. Ah, it's a stroke of luck. But it was like <laughs> 11.30 at night on a